And so tonight, we're in the book of Genesis. I love Genesis, the book of beginnings. Amen? The book of beginnings. And so we're going to look at it tonight, part two, and that God made us. And so I want us to pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for being with us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. And we pray that you will make yourself known among us and teach us the word of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody look at me. Now, you know that this is recorded for radio. Everybody know that? And I'm, I'm man, I've had a day. Um, this morning was in the Word. Then I had a Zoom meeting about my radio show where we're upgrading the whole program to go on more stations and whatnot. And then I did Tima to Every Man and Answer solo. And that, that means there's nobody there to help you. Like, Jesus, you know, you lean on the Holy Spirit because you get calls from all over America and, and, and it's you. And so I told them straight up front, it's just me, I'm solo, so uh, pre- please pray for me. And a bunch of them called in and we got a lot of calls, but it came straight from there to here. But I, I'm so thankful for your um, cognizance that this is recorded for radio and this goes out over all over the United States of America. And we have mics dropping down in the audience. So if you say, uh, I don't agree with you, you're on radio. <laughs> right? And so thank you for being aware of it and uh, honoring it. Turn to your neighbor and say, in the beginning. <laughs> Amen. How many of you have been reading ahead? Anybody been reading ahead? Anybody been reading Genesis ahead? All right, good. Um, now... I'm on a series on Sundays that I'm calling Change Your Mind, Change Your Life. And it's essentially about the way you think, because the Bible cares a lot about the way we think, a lot. And the Bible talks about the renewing of our minds and being transformed by the renewing of our minds and living in the Word, meditating on the Word, and so on and so forth. So it's very important. So uh, the reason I think Genesis is so important is because it's key to a biblical worldview, If you don't embrace Genesis 1, starting 1-1, all the way through the end of chapter 2 that we're going to finish tonight, um, if you don't embrace that, then I don't know how you're a believer. In other words, let me put it another way. You can't be an evolutionist if you embrace Genesis 1-1. You can't be an evolutionist if you embrace Genesis 1-1 and 2. You can't. You can't. Because in the beginning... God created. So in Hebrews, it says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. All right. How were the worlds made? They were framed by the word of God. They didn't evolve. They were created. Right. Amen. Give me a big amen. I know it's cold outside. All right. Now. Last time we saw that God created the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days. That's right. And Genesis 1 gives us the chronology of on which day God did what and created what. Now this time we're going to look at his crowning creation, man. So I ended last time with Genesis 1 verse 26, the first half of it, because God created man on the sixth day, on the second half of the sixth day. 
First half, he made animals. Second half, he made you, me, we, us. Amen? So um, starting in Genesis 1.26, let's just pick up where he now describes the creation of man. Then God said, let us make man, how everybody, in our image. Now, he goes on, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created, and interesting, God calls insects creeps, creeping things, right? All you ladies say amen. All right, now, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Now, first, we note here God's plan. God's plan was to make man in his image. In his image. That's important. Twice in one verse, it said it. In his image. Or two verses. Now, we know that God is a spirit. So that can't be what he's talking about. In other words, he's not saying that God looks like us. Or that we look like God. Can I inform you? He's God. We're not. We're not even little gods. Oh, no, no, no. Right? No. So, so when he says in our image, what is he talking about? What does he mean? Um, it can't mean our immortality. We're not like God that way. And let me tell you why. Because God is eternal, eternally past and eternally future. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's a brain twister, but he's always been. The reason it bends our brain is because we are created to live in time and space. All right? So we can't imagine something eternal. I can't even imagine an eternal heaven, much less an eternal hell. But it's true. There is an eternity. We are encapsulated in time, but God's not. God made time. So God has always been past there, back there. And he always will be. Our immortality only began when we were conceived. Because we do have an eternal soul. Right? Yes. Uh, that's why our soul needs to be saved. That's how Jesus said, I'm going to give you eternal life. But that's forward. It's not backward. So created in God's image, it can't mean that. All right? So what does it mean? I believe, first and foremost... In his image means uh, man's morality, our morality. It's called original righteousness. Because we were originally created righteous. We didn't have a fallen nature when we were created. All right? Listen to Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29. Very, just a few words here. Watch this. God created man, how everybody? Upright. He created us with his nature. He created us with his morality. He created us with his holiness. He created us. So, so in that respect, we're created in his image. And none of the animals were created this way. None of them. Only man. And that's why Genesis 1 ends the creation focused on man. And Genesis 2, we're about to see, is, is fully revisiting the creation of man. 
because it was God's crowning creation. We, man was. Now that gives us great value, but we're not little gods or gods at all. We're created in his image, meaning God created me upright. God created me with a moral code. God created me with a, 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 a sense of and a love for what is right. We were created with a moral nature that mirrors God's holiness and goodness and righteousness. And have you ever noticed that once you were born again, how you began to want those things again? You wanted holiness. You wanted to do what was right. You wanted to please God. You wanted to walk in righteousness. Where'd that come from? That's the way your original nature was. And getting born again is the beginning restoration of what we lost in the Garden of Eden. And I also think made in his image includes the ability to think, to assess, to reason, to make logical choices, reflect, create, fellowship with God on a level the animals could never dream of. All right? So we have the ability. A dog doesn't sit down and say, well, I think today... um, I think today I'm going to build something. I think today I'm going to sweep the living room where all my hair is gone. I think today I'm going to create something brand new. I think today I'm going to, uh, I don't know, improve this house one way or another. Or uh, I think I'll share a few words with my owner. Or I think that um, today I'm going to figure out where I really came from. Does a dog ever do that? Does a dog wake up ever concerned about where did I come from? And, and who am I? And they're totally unsafe. You can take a dog in front of a mirror and you got to make them keep looking at it. And sometimes if you make them look at themselves, they just start barking at themselves. Right? Because they can't conceptualize self-awareness. All right? None of that. They can't conceptualize any of that because they don't have that ability, but God does. And we're created in God's image so that we can create. Now we can't create something out of nothing. Hello. We got to have something to work with. Anything in this room, anything, this chair you're sitting in, this sanctuary, all of it came from something that existed. Only God can say, let there be. And something comes from nothing. Only God. All right. But nevertheless, since we can create, even though we're working with something that already exists, that's a God image thing. We can conceptualize and build beautiful things. You know, uh, Cindy and I have, have been to England, and, and I love England. I don't like what's happened to it now, um, politically and morally and all that. But England, there's such a, the old castles. You look at these old castles. And you think, how in the world did they build this centuries ago? Because they're beautiful, gigantic, massive things that man conceptualized and built. Man sat down one day and said, I want to fly. I really want to fly. Bless God, I'm going to figure out how. A dog doesn't even ever think, I'd love to fly. I wish I could fly. I'm going to figure out how I can fly. No, all a dog cares about is eating and sleeping. That's it. Eating and sleeping, going for a walk. My dog fetching what you throw at him. That's it. They live there. That's their life. 
If, if I just take the ball out and throw it to my dog a few times and he fetches it, I've made his day. He's content. Now he's going to go back and go to sleep. Okay. So do you see how we're made in God's image in those ways? But Jesus told us God is a spirit. So he doesn't look like us. We don't look like him. What does he look like? I don't know. Because if I did see him, I wouldn't be here. Right? So chapter two. Now, oh, let me back up. Second, we know this is very important. God is very specific in pointing out the gender distinctions of mankind. All right? Very important. It says God made a male and God made a female. And not a hundred different derivatives. He made a male. So that's a man. He made a female. That's a woman. And he stopped there. What is Genesis? The book of beginnings. So in the book of beginnings, we see the way God began and what his original plan was. So chapter two is going to tell us that God's plan for these two genders is marriage. He created two genders to complement one another and create a oneness in the bonds of matrimony. Period. All right. So it's totally obvious that if God who made human beings, uh, either male or female, one or the other, and who ordained marriage, starting with the very first couple, told the very first couple, you're going to get married. I'm bringing you together. Somebody said to me in this altar right here once said, but Adam and Eve, they didn't have a piece of paper. Why do I need a piece of paper? Adam and Eve didn't have a piece of paper, didn't need one. And, and uh, they didn't have to go have some wedding. And I said, because nobody else was there. Who are they going to call? Who's their best man going to be? This was a couple that was living together and they were arguing with me. Well, I don't need a piece of paper and we don't need some official wedding. We're in love and God has honored our union. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, that's not what the Bible says. And he said, listen, Adam and Eve, they didn't have anybody there and, and they didn't have some official wedding. And I said, of course not. Nor did they have a piece of paper because Moses hadn't arrived yet. You'd be amazed what happens in this altar and what I hear on the phone and on and doing the show. Anyway, um, if God had intended for two of the same gender to be married, he would have said so in Genesis because Genesis is the book of beginnings, but he didn't because that was not his original plan. So what's happened in our culture with same-sex marriages in the last few years is a perversion of God's plan. And call me a bigot, call me a homophobe, call me whatever you want. I'm telling you that it's a perversion of God's plan. Because clearly in Genesis, that's not what he intended or he would have said so. Are you with me, church? Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And that's verse 28. Now this is the second time that God specifies that he gave man dominion over all the rest of creation. Dominion means to subjugate, to rule over or to reign. 
And that's very easy to comprehend because he gave man the superior reasoning ability, the, the ability to actually think higher and operate in a higher transcendent level than animals. So it's very natural for man to, to subjugate the rest of creation. And that's what God gave man. Verse 29, and God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for what everyone food also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Note with me that before the fall, all of God's creation were herbivores. All of them, including us. Not carnivores. There was no carnivorous activity before the fall. Uh, carnivorous activity, one creature tearing another one apart for food. And that whole deal was not God's original plan. Carnivorous activity was a feature, became a feature of a fallen world. God clearly says here, I've given you every green herb. I've given, you're going to be vegetarians. And it was only after the fall that God put a seal of approval on killing and eating meat. And I'm so glad he did. Right? As we come to chapter two, we're going to see that Moses revisits the creation of all things with special focus on the creation of Adam and Eve. So he's going to revisit the creation of man. That's how important this was. And um, chapter two, now this is really, really important as well. Please follow me here, track with me, because what we're about to read is why some people reject the Bible. Uh, I had somebody in my family who uh, became an agnostic and then an atheist. And one day I asked this person, why are you an atheist and why do you reject the Bible? And they immediately pulled Genesis chapter two out and said, because Genesis two contradicts Genesis one in many places. And it showed me that the Bible is full of contradictions and is not consistent. And I was a young believer at this point. So I had to go digging to see what the truth was, what the answer was. But, but this person was very intelligent. This person was a member of Mensa, the, the club for geniuses. And, and, and she just hurled this at me and threw at me this Genesis 2 issue. So I'm going to show you why they thought it was a contradictory chapter and the Bible contradicts itself. Chapter 2, we, we first must note it's not a chronological account. Chapter one was chronological. Day one, he did this. Day two, he did that. Day three, day four, day five, day six. It's chronological. It tells us what happened on what day. It tracks the creation from start to finish. But chapter two is not chronological. It was not meant to be. What it is is a more, uh, it's a deeper, detailed account of the special attention God put into the creation of man and woman. All right? Now, let's start reading it, and let me show you what made this woman stumble. 
verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Now he's wrapping things up. He said, okay, I just gave you the chronological account of creation. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Verse 4, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, before any plant of the field was in the earth, And before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Now, this is really important. These passages we just read are describing the pristine condition of the world Leading up to the first half of day six, before man was created. It's the second half of day six when God created Adam. All right? So he's just simply describing what the pristine, untouched, no sin, no iniquity, no darkness, no devil, no nothing. What it looked like, and we can only imagine what this thing looked like. Right? I mean, you talk about beauty. You talk about breathtaking, knock you over, knock dead beauty. That's in verses four through six. Verse seven, and the Lord God formed who, everybody? Man. From where? Of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Now, this is brand new information. We weren't told this in chapter 1. Chapter 1 didn't tell us that he was made out of the dust of the ground. It didn't tell us that. It just said God made him. It tells us about the creation of Adam and Eve as a plural. He doesn't divide it in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he's dividing it, and and he's pulling in tighter on, on details about the creation of man. We also weren't told in chapter 1 that God breathed into him the breath of life. It's not there. Neshama. Neshama. The Hebrew breath. Neshama. He breathed into him the breath of life. Verse Chapter 2 tells us that. In verse 8, the narrative continues. Look at verse 8. Here's where people are thrown. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, this is new information as well. God gave Adam a task and a garden to till and to keep. He he sent him to work in the garden. All right? So the minute the man is created, God gives him a task. That's why God didn't create laziness. God created the work ethic. Amen? God gave us something to do. I'm so glad he gave us something to do. I'm so glad he gave us something to do. And I love being involved in, uh, you know, we talk about manual labor. I live in Emmanuel labor. I'm involved in Emmanuel labor every day of my life, and I love it. 
All right. I don't want to stop because God put it in me. He put it in you to produce, to be productive, to to do something, to to let the world know you were here before you're gone. This, This is the, this is what God did. So new information twice. We're already given in chapter two. Now we come to verse nine and here's where the trouble starts. Verse nine. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, note everybody, pay attention. Verse nine is making it sound like the vegetation was made after Adam. Because we're told in verse seven, God made Adam. But now in verse nine, he says, out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow. And that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And see, this person said to me, that's a contradiction because chapter one said man was last. But chapter two is now telling us that man was made and then God made the garden and the vegetation. And you'd be amazed how this has been a controversy through the ages. You'd be amazed. People say, well, see right there, right out of the chute, the Bible contradicts itself. But this is not contradicting chapter one. It's not at all. Remember, chapter one was chronological. Chapter two is not intended to be chronological. It's intended to be descriptive. It's not looking to be chronological. Chapter two is simply telling us that the vegetation God had already created had begun to grow out of the ground. The Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. But they were already there. Now they've just started growing. So it's not telling us it came after Adam. It's saying once Adam was there, it was it had started to grow. And we also get our first glimpse of two famous trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And we're going to meet the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in chapter three when we talk about the fall. Because the fall changes everything. And you know what else? It explains so much why there's suffering, tears, pain, evil, wickedness, despair, depression, Sickness, disease, it explains it all. The fall. Now, look at verses 10 to 14, describes four rivers. I'm going to zip through this because some of you, it's going to be like yawn material because you don't know what these rivers are except the Euphrates. But let me read them because it's kind of cool what I'm going to show you about them. Now, a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there, it parted and became four river heads. You'll note, he said, there was no rain yet. But a mist came up from the ground and that's how everything was watered. When did rain come? The first time there was a rainbow in the sky. Because after the great flood, the ecology of the world changed. And there was rain. And if there had been rain before the flood, there would have been a rainbow there. But a rainbow is only there because millions and trillions of water droplets are prismatically bending the light of the sun to give us color. But before the... the, uh, the The uh, flood, that wasn't there. There was no rainbow. The rainbow is a feature of post-flood. All right? Then it goes on. 
The name of the first river is uh, Pishon. I'm going to go with that. Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. Notice there was riches in the earth after God made it. And the gold of that land is good. Okay, and verse 13, the name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hittichel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Euphrates figures huge in Bible prophecy. Because in the book of Revelation, we're told that in the, the end of the great tribulation period, when the war of Armageddon is about to commence, the greatest war that has ever rocked the earth is about to commence, that four demon spirits are going to be posted at the Euphrates and they're going to dry it up so that the kings of the east, which I fully believe are the Chinese, the, the oriental, uh, the, the Chinese kings of the east. I mean, who's in the east? The kings of the east. For them to cross over and head for that great war. The Euphrates will dry up. So the Euphrates is mentioned right here in the beginning of the beginning of all things. And the Euphrates is mentioned at the end of all things. It's a very important river. Now, here's the idea of these verses we just read. The idea is of a stream rising in Eden that flowed through Eden. And at some distance outside of Eden, it divided into four great rivers. How about that stream going through Eden was unbelievable. I mean, from this stream going through Eden, four huge rivers were spawned. All right? Now, some have traced these rivers, some very legitimate people have traced these rivers and their original source to what is today Armenia, which borders the northern tip of Iran. You can look on your world map and find Iran and Iraq and look at Iran and go to the uttermost northern tip of Iran and it borders Armenia. They have traced these rivers to that area and it's led many to believe that Eden was located somewhere in that vicinity. I'd like to do some excavating there. Right? Because there was the Garden of Eden. Isn't it something that now Iraq is there? Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely, what everyone, die. Now this is the first thou shalt not in the history of the human race. The first prohibition is right here. Thou shalt not eat of the tree. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But you know what? That's the only word of God they had. That's the only word of God the first couple had. That was their Bible. Don't touch, don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. And Eve got it wrong before they'd been there long at all. Because Eve quoted to the devil, oh, the, the Lord said we should not eat of it or touch it. He didn't say don't touch it. 
He just said, don't eat it. Already the word of God was getting messed up. And all they had was one sentence. I mean, how would you like to have a Bible with one sentence? This was the only word of God they had. Thou shalt not eat of that tree. Don't eat of it. If you, and when you do, you'll die. And, and we know, we're going to see next time in chapter 3 how the devil, his modus operandi was to attack that word. There was only one sentence, and that's what he attacked. He, he used this word, this one word from God, to lead Eve into sin, to twist it, skew it, mess it up, misconstrue it, make her question it, make her doubt it. He attacked the word. He attacked the word. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus in the wilderness. He attacked the word. It is written, the devil said. And he quoted the Bible. The Bible, the devil knows the Bible better than a lot of Christians. The devil knows that Bible. Because he quoted it to Jesus, but he twisted it every time. There was a twist. There was a hook. There was a miscommunication of it. There was a, a skewing of it. He changed the word subtly. Where if you didn't really know it, he was going to get you. Next we come to the creation of Eve. First God notes that man is alone and it's not good. Every man in here say amen. I even got a hand over there. The Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him out of the ground. Now here, again, notice this wording. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. That sounds like he made them after Adam was created. But that's not what God is doing. He's not telling us that God made the animals after Adam. Chapter 2 is not chronological. It's simply a non-chronological repeat of what chapter 1 already told us. Namely, God created the animals and the birds. And chapter 2 picks up the account to tell us that after Adam was created, those same animals and birds were brought to him. That he might name them. That's all it's telling us. It's not contradictory. Everybody say it's not contradictory. Are you with me? Because people really, they walk away from the Bible with, from verses like these. And they don't understand. They haven't really studied it. Okay. So that's the purpose of verse 19. It's not a contradiction. I want you to consider the genius of Adam. What was his IQ? Before the fall. <laughs> I remember reading some IQs. They say that Wolfgang von Goethe, the, the German poet that wrote Faust and uh, just an incredible intellect, he dealt in many different fields of science and all that. They said his IQ was around 200. Normal is 100. 90 to 110 is average, okay? They said his was about 200. They said that da Vinci's was uh, probably around 180, Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, these are raging geniuses. But let me tell you something. They couldn't hold a candle to this guy here, Adam. Look what God gave him to do. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, 
all the birds of the air, every beast of the field. Are you kidding me? You know how many that is? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands. To me, I'm done after Tim and Tom. (laughs) Right? Tim, he shall be Tim. He shall be Tom. I can't think of anything else. He did, he named everything that God made with a unique individual name. Do you, do you know the creativity, the creative mind, the brilliant mind that that would take? Oh, it's a mind bender. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. All right? So we got a problem. Nothing that God had made could get alongside Adam and satiate his loneliness. So now we come to the magic moment, God made woman. All the ladies said amen. Amen. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs. He he, he, He did a surgery. He cut down through his chest. I don't know what, with, or how, but he did. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. He closed up the flesh. God did. So this is not a let there be. Are you with me? This is different. This is not let there be light, let there be this. and let, No, God now is doing surgery. God is, is doing something special, unique. Um, it's incomprehensible. And he closed up the rib. And with the rib, the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, whoa, man. And that's where a woman came from. (laughs) That's in the Hebrew. You just need to check it out. No, I'm kidding. Adam, now this is so sacred and so amazing that you would have to ponder this for weeks. That he went into his chest surgically. He surgically removed a rib. He closed the flesh up. I'm sure there was no scar. And then he takes the rib. And he makes woman. It's just, Adam said, and it touched Adam deeply. Because look what he said. This is now bone of my bones. You better believe it because she was taken from a rib bone. Your rib bone. And she's flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. So Adam was made from the ground and Eve was made from Adam. The great Bible commentator Matthew Henry writes this. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him. Neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him. But out of his side to be equal with him. Under his arm to be protected by him. And near his heart to be loved by him. 
I can usually try to improve on something. I can't improve on that. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? So, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, that's what, that's what is said next. Verse 24. Now we have the, the establishment of marriage. Here it is, right here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I mean, there is a oneness that nothing can duplicate. Not your best friend, not your BFF. Nothing can duplicate the oneness of man and woman in matrimony. All right? Nothing. Now, another verse, King James says, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And we like to say, if you don't leave, you can't cleave. I got a a question this week sent to me. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you what it said straight up. This this woman said, how can I get rid of my father-in-law? Now, she didn't mean murder. She just meant he's, he's horning in on my marriage. He won't leave us alone. He, he won't go away. Uh, he, he's, he's ruining our marriage. How can I get rid of him? Well, all I could think of is the husband needs to read this verse. And, and because, listen, once you're married, you leave father and mother in the sense that Your primary duty is to your spouse now, not them. And if you allow uh, a father-in-law, mother-in-law to meddle and constantly tell your wife how to cook and uh, tell, tell, you know, the husband how to, how to run the household and how to make money and and you're always meddling, then you're going to ruin that marriage because if you don't leave, you can't cleave. You can't genuinely cleave if you have not left father and mother in significant ways. I didn't write her and tell her, well, go ahead and take him out. You know, <laughs> I just said, you know what? Read Genesis two twenty four. Now, you know, this passage right here is the establishment of marriage. Jesus quotes this passage in Mark 10 verse seven. He quotes it in Matthew 19 verses five and six. Paul quotes it in Ephesians five, 31 to 33. So both the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul quote Moses' description of marriage as God's one and only plan. Amen. Amen. All right? So it's confirmed all through the scriptures. God's order is a man shall be joined to his wife. A male shall be joined to a female. That's, that's the original, that's the plan, Stan. That's it. All right? So that's why I say it's a perversion, the same-sex thing. It's a perversion. Um, Now we come to the close with verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now people read that and they go, what in the world is that about? Well, here's what it's about. It's describing Adam and Eve's innocence. It's their innocence. It's hard for us to comprehend, but there had never been a sin. Uh, a sin had not blighted the human race yet. So there was no such thing as shame. They didn't know what shame felt like because there had been no sin. So are you ready? There was no self-consciousness. Because there had never been a sin. There was no shame. There was no introspection. There was no checking in. Just checking in to see what condition your condition is in. 
There was no need for psychoanalysis or anything. Right? None of that. There was no self-awareness in the sense of self-consciousness. But sin, sin brought that. Sin ruins everything. Adam and Eve are portrayed here as being totally childlike in their original state. They had no reason at all to feel guilty about anything because there was no guilt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Now, but after they sinned, they immediately looked for covering and they immediately looked for cover. They ran from God. They ran from him. I want to close with a great quote. This is a great quote. You got to think about this. Blushing is now the color of virtue, but it was not the color of innocence. That is a powerful quote. It's not a Bible verse, but it's a good one. You know what it's saying? If you have virtue and morals, if you have virtue and morals, given the right context, you will blush. But in the beginning, there was no blushing because there was no sin. Innocence ruled the day. Do you know that what one of God's, uh, when God was telling Judah, here's why you're going to go into captivity. Here's why I'm going to take you into captivity. Here's why you're coming under judgment. Because you have forgotten how to blush. You're so hardened in your heart with your sin that what would make a morally virtuous person blush and be ashamed and embarrassed doesn't faze you because you've got a hard heart. Adam and Eve never had to worry about blushing because there was no reason. Can we stand together? Isn't this good stuff? Yes, it is. Amen. amen next week we're looking at the fall don't miss it oh don't miss next week because it's going to help you understand a lot of things a whole lot of things the fall but right now let's just lift our hands to the lord who made us can you say with me let's say with david i am fearfully and wonderfully made god made us in his image to reflect and mirror his character. As our brother leads us in one final chorus, let's just lift our hands and bless the Lord tonight. Thank you, Lord. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name. to praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I wish I could convince every high school in America and every junior high and every elementary school in America, all those kids, all those young people, I wish I could convince them they're made in God's image and they're not uh, 
mistakes, evolutionary mistakes, uh, evolutionary surprises. No, they didn't come from a primordial sea, some ancient single-celled amoeba. God took time to fashion us. Amen. So good to have you here tonight. And um, good seeing all of you on this cold Wednesday night. It's going to be cold in the morning. Leave your faucets running a little bit tonight. Drip, drip, drip. Because it's going to be really cold. Do you know that Friday morning, Saturday morning is supposed to be 19? Yeah, winter cometh. But now Sunday, I'm going to be speaking on change your mind, change your life. We're going to get a renewed mind. We're going to get a biblical worldview. Amen? Amen. Let's thank the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Father, bless your people as we go. Thank you for getting us here safely. Get us home safely. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love, your watch care over us, and that you sent a redeemer to die for us and rise from the dead. We praise you and bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.